Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Sasmito Aribowo, a seasoned software artisan with a flair for innovation. Fluent in over 10 computer languages, Sasmito has a proven track record of turning ideas into reality. From crafting AI-driven microservices to pioneering smart city mobile apps, his expertise is vast and varied. With eight U.S. patents under his belt and a self-published technical book, Sasmito's contributions to the tech world are undeniable. His decade-long tenure at SAP saw him excel as a product owner, ensuring product compliance and managing intricate security requirements. Beyond his corporate achievements, Sasmito is a bootstrapper at heart, single-handedly conceptualizing and launching multiple applications for Apple platforms through his venture, Basil Salad Software. Whether it's challenging the status quo or advocating for the devil, Sasmito's passion for technology and innovation shines through in every endeavor. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and insights into the mind of this tech maestro. So Sasmito, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Now that I heard the full treatise, I'm a bit scared of myself now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to guide us through this whole AI revolution. We'll be looking to people like you for guidance. No, I'm not. I'm optimistic about the future. Before we get into all that, though, I want to know about your background and how you got into this. Are your parents coders? Is this the family? Is this a, you guys all get together and have, what do they call those? The coding, coding challenges? Uh, no, my parents are not really a coder, although my dad was a uh, program a bit. My dad programmed a bit for IBM Minis and really? I guess mainframes, yeah, so. He worked in a hotel. He was he's a he, for his entire career. He's a hotelier, from the person who picked up the keys in front desk, up to assistant finance manager. Then yeah, in the in the same company. And as that's when he sees that his career went stuck. Then he found I would say he had a he had a rich friend which happens to own a company, and then he okay. become a CEO of another company, of, oh, wow. of that company. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. So, so how did you even get into programming? It's not a small feat to know 10 languages. I'm, I think I'm working on two. Like I got HTML. I think I know some basic P. That's <laughs> as far as I've gotten so far. I'm... Yeah, that is oh, not overnight. That's oh, over a 20-year period. So right. it's not that fast, by the way. <laughs> That's why I'm saying. So how did you even get started? Oh, so my dad uh, gave me this book. It was... It's called Learning Programming for the IBM PC Basic by David A. Lean, David A. Line, David A. Lean. So it was the original ROM basic programming when you have, you need to start programming with line numbers in front, like then print hello world. So that's the simplest language there. You have to provide line numbers in front at 10, 20, 30, 40, like that. And that's when I got started and that's one. And it's probably fueled, yeah, yeah, yes. I would say, so you, you started a long time, your dad gave you this book and what, you just devoured it? It was the most fascinating thing that you read or 
you read it because your dad told you to and like oh what? well i i it probably partially fueled because i'm not that great at people okay <laughs> i'm not that great at people and on this computer thing of uh, it's a bit fascinating i can hey look i can make computer do things and before that i used to create quote and create using legos lego bricks mm. <laughs> Yeah, my dad was, was fortunate enough to buy us a few sets of Lego bricks. Not many, I mean, like two or three sets. And it's the IBM Basic is like another stepping stone or another version of Lego bricks for me. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, what were some of your early projects? Okay, I the the biggest the, the my first biggest was a math testing game. So when you can practice addition, subtraction, it's a game testing where you can practice addition, subtraction, multiplication, and the like. Then I did a manchala. It's what is it called? Manchala in the Philippines or something like that? It's Mahjong. Not Mahjong. Jongklak. Okay. Jongklak. So it was it was it was a remake of a traditional game where you have seven beads, and you need to pick up a bead and distribute along the route. And the side would have the most piece won, something like that. Yeah, I think the game is still around. If you Google around called this game called Dakon Master, yeah, probably you can find it somewhere. Yeah, Dakon Master, Google Dakon Master. Hopefully you can find it. You'll need a DOS emulator to be to run it if it's still around. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I used to provide that as a free download. So yeah, you, it... okay. And then what? One day my friend my crush of the, of the time was having problem with Worldstar at the time. And she ruined her diary because of a floppiness issue. And that inspired me to create a diary writing software. So I made a diary writing software. Probably nowadays, it's nowadays it's called, nowadays a competitor did a much better one called Day One. But it, it is, this was like 1992. 93 I made a diary. I, think I heard software. about that day one. You take like a photo a day and or something journal, like that. Yeah, you journal your things. Yeah, I made something similar that's much crappier back then for Windows 3.1. Okay. 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 Yeah. And publish it in a local software company. Yeah, small traction, but a at least that's okay. 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 And then what happened from there? I'm still trying to map out your journey because. It sounds like a long way to go from old school tech textbooks and playing around making games to now making smart city apps and obviously working in a major company like you are uh, with such a, a prestige kind of position. I, I, yeah, yeah. At that time, programming was really bad for my school grades. <laughs> so at, at the time when I was, I scored, I scored really bad in school and therefore my mother really confined me to only weekends in dealing with computers okay. and my, my books okay so I, I could study and she encouraged yeah and by that time yeah after a, a few years later i got into a computer school back in indonesia so it was like it was the number two computer school of the country at the time mm -hmm. yeah Number two mm. at the time. Yeah, so your mom I didn't put get... you in that. Was this because you had an interest in it or because she felt like that's like she had some sort of this is the vision of the future? For one, my parents really want me to go to a I would say government school. Right? Government school, especially the one of the top three government schools, right? And 
because of that I yeah because I kind of think yeah this computer thing probably become can, can become my thing so I pick the two computer schools there so there's a number one computer school and number two computer school okay. of the country yeah I failed to get the number one but I got into number two okay. <laughs> and by yeah so by the way also I also already got the number three computer school enrollment accepted which just was a private university there but that's the story the story in your journey to learning how to code how to create and ship products how to manage software development products because part of the world's been pushed online since the covid pandemic everybody's had a wake-up call that hey there is an online offline component but they're both critical i don't think you can be completely online because at some point even your data has to be in a server center somewhere Right. But at the same time, you can't necessarily even be completely offline. Even a farmer at this point needs a website or a social media profile. And so for a lot of people that are new to this, trying to navigate it, I'm just curious, what were some of your biggest challenges in your career path in terms of learning the trade and the process of creating and shipping digital products or just and just, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Creating and shipping digital products. Yeah, and it's a path. There's no such thing as career path, really. It's like a you if you look, if you know this thing called random walk in Wall Street. Okay. Yeah, it's a random walk. You walk around a huge plane with many obstacles, and uh, you try to grab the best options that you can see thus far. By the way, in programming it's called greedy algorithm. Okay. Yeah, and I, when people say, oh, there's a career path, it's a big lie usually. They just look back and they rationalize that it was a path. Right. But really, there's no path. There's no path. You make your way across a, a savanna and try to avoid the lions and try to uh, find, walk from one oasis to the next yeah, 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 that's. I think that's really a really fair and accurate statement. I especially, I, I've been talking to a lot of, lately I've been talking to a lot of kids in university. And one of the things that's come up is a lot of them seem to think that university is going to prepare them for the world. And I've had to tell them, if university can certify you in whatever field you're trying to be certified in, you have no job security because they can go certify and credentialize another thousand people right behind you. And so where the security comes from is stacking skill sets in a unique manner that overlap with your passions, ideally. So it's a combined skill set unique to you. And that's something that is unique, almost in a way that apprenticeships used to work, where you couldn't necessarily just go to school. You had to mentor under someone to learn the skill set and really get into the weeds of something. And almost like you're talking about, you learn a skill set and you find this oasis, and then maybe something happens, that oasis dries up, and then you walk through the desert to another one. And you develop these unique gifts and skill sets that hopefully serve you. And that's assuming that you continue to grow, right? Some people, they just get somewhere and they just stay there and they're happy and bless them if that's, if that's what they want. Would you, you agree with that? Would you add to that? Oh, would I add to that? Maybe I should reduce that. The thing is that you say, yeah, your passion and your skills, but also you need to keep, or keep an eye or, on market demands and market demands and the thing is that until we are in the star trek era where everything you need is that's a pressure of a button but we have to work with the existing system right now which is capitalism right. which is we do things for other people 
we get money or some kind of currency and we trade that money to extend our lives one way or right. another. So market right. is also very important. Yeah, that's called ikigai. The ikigai is a Japanese term where your passion, your abilities, and what people will pay you for overlap. You have to figure yeah, out what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and what people will pay for. And where those three things intersect, that's your ikigai. Four. That's the thing. Four, Four oh. things. Four Sorry. things ikigai. Four things ikigai, but yeah, getting to three is, is hard enough already, right? Uh, getting to three is hard enough already. I'm I'm still in, in a two ikigai. I'm still in two, not in three. And getting to four is even harder, yeah, but it's an aspirational framework. But uh, don't kill yourself if you, if you cannot meet all the four dimensions of ikigai. Let's talk about this because I think there's, what would you recommend to someone that's either starting out or struggling and either having to go online or develop a tech component. They've never had to deal with programmers. They've never had to make APIs talk to each other. They've never had to sandbox and have staging tiers. They've never had a bunch of users break their, their graphic user interface. They didn't have, never had to think about front end, back end and database, right? What would you recommend to someone starting out or struggling that's going, Hey, I know I need, or I have a vision for some sort of software component to what I'm doing. What would you recommend? From what I see thus far, programming now is like writing 300 years ago. Right, 300 years ago, if you got a if you got a writing job, if you can write and read and write well, you're secured for life. Okay. okay. Programming was like that in the 90s, in the 90s, and maybe slightly after dot com boom and bust. But it's also going to be like writing now, where Look at now, if you cannot read or write, then you're falling behind everyone. You cannot even do the most basic things. Programming will be like that. It'll be like reading and writing. There will be there will still be specialized writers and writers like JK Rowling who become very rich. And there are programmers who like Linus Torvalds, the father of Linux, who became quite rich yeah. right, by programming. But there will be some specialists, some specialized programmers. And special, like specialized writers nowadays who write TV shows, who write cinemas, and who write uh, hot selling books, right? right? But most people will read and write to a certain, certain extent. And for people now, starting now, programming is going to be like that. If you cannot program at all, you're going to get left behind. And so where but, do they start? Because there's so many languages and they're constantly evolving. Do they just learn Python? I heard that we're going to build... Artificial general was artificial general intelligence on Python. Yeah, it, not really. AGI is something else. It's also something else that's going to put many programmers obsolete. Right. And that's also what I'm preparing for in case mitigation in case I become obsolete, which is probably soonish, but we'll see. Knock on wood. But yeah, it's I think for, for today, for today, say let's say if you're going to if you're going to plan to become quote unquote specialist writers who write TV shows and books or you become a real programmers who programs things for large scale systems. Yeah, Python could be a good could be a good start. Python could be a good start. Now there's an there's an upcoming programming language called Rust, which also a bit good start if you want to be a serious programmer at the operating system level. Right. If you want to be a programming Big computers, let's say cloud computers. Cloud is really just big computers in warehouses. There's no such thing as cloud. Yeah, all, all the cloud is someone else's computer. 
Yeah, yeah. someone else commuters. Yeah, That's if right. you want to program they, those kind of commuters, big commuters in warehouses, then Go could be a could be an option. But for if you're planning to say not do direct, not become a specialist programmers, not become a software engineer of of any sort, then today will be Excel will will be a good way to start. Excel. Excel. Like Excel, Excel spreadsheets. Excel spreadsheets. Excel spreadsheets. Oh, uh, making formulas in Excel, right? It's one way to program a computer. And one step beyond that, there's, there's a macro language. There's a real programming language behind Excel that you can also tap if you use the desktop versions of Excel, like Mac and Windows versions of Excel. It's called Visual Basic for Applications. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that you can start creating formulas in Excel, programming VBAs in Excel for your day-to-day your day to day work, for example, even for my day to day work, I do, I do reconciliation for my bank accounts. So I have to, I have my bank statements, right? These are Asian in CSV files, and I have to import it to my personal finance software. And these don't talk to each other because I'm in the wrong, I'm living in the wrong part of the world where no personal finance software can connect to any of my bank accounts. <laughs> And therefore, I have to write some scripts to uh, convert CSV files from what the bank generates, which is which is are not really CSV files in in a proper format into a proper CSV files that my finance software can receive. So this kind of glue are going to be uh, required or needed for many of our people's work. You say? Did you if say it, R? Probably. R. It is. Kind of just confirming because I signed up for a data science course. <laughs> free one that Google did. And it was like, one of the requirements was you had to choose which language you want to do it in. And one was R and I'd never, I've heard of Ruby on rails. I know Python, JavaScript, C plus, I know all these languages. I've never heard of R before I signed up for that. Oh, course. not R, R, but R, A, R, E. Ah, okay. Yeah. R, E could be if you're planning to be an economist or statistician, right? The thing is with programming languages, it's not really about the language, just important. Three specialists, professionals like me, professional programmers like me, probably can pick up a new language in, in three, four weeks. Most of them are the same. But the thing is, the hard part will be the ecosystem. Beyond the standard, say, okay, this is a function, this is how you do loops, this is how you do decisions, this is how you do classes. Yeah, yeah, those are the basics that, you, that can be covered in two, three weeks by any professional programmers, fine. But the ecosystem, that's the hard part. Like you have libraries upon libraries and these kind of libraries behave differently. Even the societies behave differently. The people around the language, let's say for example, how our people behave and our language, our people behave, the people in the R ecosystem behaves, the people in the Python ecosystem behaves, the people in the Java ecosystem behaves are vastly different. Of, to be mm. frank, uh, people in the R ecosystems, they are very lax on changing things and breaking other people's software. So, yeah, one day I upgrade my R installation bro, and then start, start working. <laughs> and yeah, that's why I, I stopped using R for my personal finance software, glue code, and move to Python. Python breaks things less. So Python, Python people, is all faithful. Sounds like yeah, the people break things less, but still more less than R. But if you go further down the spectrum, Java people, they even break things far less. But mm -hmm. Java people, they're, they're really strict and stringent. Probably 
they probably sometimes people they call them, call them the fortran of the 2000s cobol cobol was a programming language that my dad used to wrote in <laughs> in the um, 85 ish so how does this translate into trying to stay ahead of things because there's so many languages and you talked about the ecosystem things are proliferating i i know for myself like i work a lot with people that have membership sites and now engagement on membership sites is really hard and there's a bigger push to have apps but the apps require a whole new it's a whole new tech stack for that and having your wordpress membership site and this is just one case the like use case that i'm talking about but i know that this is a challenge where before it wasn't that big of a deal but now it's sometimes it's a big hurdle just to get people to log in to a membership site because they're so used to just having an app where they log in once and it's always logged in and it's a one click the content kind of scenario. Obviously you can optimize user experience in your website, but you get what I'm saying, right? As things are evolving, if you can take what you have on the web and make it into a really nice functional app, the user engagement is much higher. That's just across the board. <clears throat> well, tips for people like you with mostly content, right? Most likely you don't need an app. As in an app that people installed on people's devices. Most mm -hmm. likely you don't. Unless you offer, you need to offer services or functionalities that a website cannot provide. What you probably need will be like a mobile com compatible website. Make sure that you you have a mode that works well in mobile phones nowadays. Depends on your audience. If you are targeting a US US uh, US Singapore audience, uh, you probably can target iPhones better, right. which have faster processors and the like. Or if you need to still need to cater for Android, then you'll have a lot of problems because you have to cater for a wider range of processing power and the mm -hmm. like. But things that work using a mobile phone of your audience and for logging in, make sure you could provide those like login with Apple, login with Google things. Those are already taken care of. Make sure you can, you, if you can provide login with Apple, login with Google, that's all good. So the thing, that's, that's, that's the thing. You don't really need app most of the time unless you have to provide some functionalities that the browser cannot provide. So then just having them bookmark it is enough. Oh, this, this, there's this thing called a PWA, Portable Web Applications, where it's a set of standards and specs so that your, your website can look like an app and can be bookmarked like an app, but it's really a website. Okay. It's in essence, make your, there's a certain uh, standards that you need to meet to to mm -hmm. have the app or the website workable on, on a mobile phone and provide an icon provide some bookmarks provide navigation but you're, you're set in, if you provide that standard and and can you speak to a bit about iterating because i don't know anyone that's really ever launched anything digitally whether it's an app or websites or even a paid ad campaign which is just graphics and test graphics and text Nothing I've ever really seen has come out the gate on fire, just perfect as it was. Can you speak to that? Is there a process that you would go through or recommend? Again, I know some people, this is years ago. This is years ago now, but I remember I was in a mastermind group and this guy, it was his turn to be in the hot seat, right? In the middle, telling his problem to the group for the group to give offer him advice. And he'd secured a million dollars in financing. Their goal was to make Java sites SEO searchable. So this is back in the day, we had text-based sites with graphics and stuff. And then there were these animated sites, right? 
but you couldn't SEO those. There was no way to really index them well. And he was working on technology to make, to solve that problem. And they had spent something like $950,000 on the tech. And now they had $50,000 for the marketing and they had no customers and they were burning cash so fast. And we were, the real answer was you did it backwards. You should have done the marketing and the onboarding of beta users and then built in public, built for them and done shorter, faster iterations versus cackling in your office for a year, two years, like mad scientists with something that's never been seen by the world. Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of building products that people actually use and find useful? Can you? Yeah, for building product, you probably need to find a demand first, find a demand first, and then you work backwards. That's good. But the thing is that if you don't have any product, you cannot get exposure easily. And even if you spend a lot of money on advertising like Google ads or Facebook ads or whatnot, yep. it's some, oh, may, maybe you just spend a lot of money on advertising and you cannot get any traction and you cannot get any people on your mailing list, on, on your list. So that's also a challenge. And if you work in, in the confines of a large company to communicate outside world, you have to go through many layers of approvals and salespeople right. and whatnot. You cannot even get hold of anybody before. You, you cannot even talk to any, anybody without having them signing you an NDA. And right. it's like getting people to, to sign you an NDA, it's like, why are you, why am I talking to you as an NDA? Uh, so that's a challenge as well. Right. So it has to go somewhere hand in hand, probably. You probably to de- identify a need and develop something small, right? Develop something small and then see if people pay for that. If people pay for that, something small. If that gives value to people and then you can sell it and then you can at, at least cover the operating cost for it and you can build forward. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making, whether you're friends or in the company? When it comes to creating software products and putting them out into the world. I had an ex-boss who became an ex-boss who became an angel investor somewhere. And then, oh, I have this wonderful idea. Let me tell you, well, okay, send this NDA. Good luck. Keep your ideas. That's fine. I have my own ideas. Yeah, that happened as well. So what? He, sorry, he wanted you to sign an NDA? Hey, yeah, he wanted me to sign an NDA to tell, to tell so that he, he'll tell him his great mm-hmm. next big idea next big idea say okay fine if you want me to become a a sounding board i can do that for you in my spare time since he's not working in the company anymore so i cannot really justify uh, spending too much time for him right but no i'm not going to sign that nda keep your own ideas i have my own it speaks to me i remember i've had this come up a lot some people they didn't want to share their business idea because they didn't want it to be stolen. But the reality is the exact opposite, actually. You should be sharing it as much as possible. I'm spiritual and not religious, but I still think this quote is valid. And it goes, don't expect others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. And again, regardless of your spiritual or not, the real secret here is that even if you tell someone your idea, and even if they try to rip you off in that, unless they're in the same field, same industry, already headed on that path, that goal, For them to turn their ship around and to have the commitment, the determination, the grit, the passion to try and see this project through, for a lot of this, I think, you get what I'm saying? Like in a lot of ways, it's just you actually kill yourself by not letting your idea spread. Memes, memes are an interesting thing because 
memes are are an evolution of thoughts where a meme has to have its own replication built in. What I mean is if I make a funny meme graphic and I share it with you and you laugh, it dies with you. I have to create a meme that you like and you want to share it. Mm. It has to have both criteria. It has to have a viral component to it in order. And I can't go, I don't want to share this meme because you might think it's great and share it. And it's that same thing with your business ideas, right? You, they say the pioneers get the arrows, the settlers get the land. You want to be in a busy marketplace, speaking to what you're saying. You don't want to think that you're going to be the only one in a market. You want to be at a busy food stop and you want to be the best of all the options there. You don't want to be in a desert with a, this nice fancy restaurant and no one around to buy from you. So it's this idea of, like you said, that hiding your ideas can just cause them to die in silence. The business graveyard is littered with world-class products and services nobody knew about. It's that whole Zen koan. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound, right? If you have the world's greatest idea, but nobody hears it, yeah. Yeah, but there's one big exception. If you work in a Fortune 500 company where the company pays you for ideas, you file for you go for that first for your talk but you still have to go share it there's people that they're paying you they need to you need to share it with them yeah but they will have a process like they will have a process saying that okay you describe your idea in a certain way and then you make sure that the idea is really new and then that will go to through through a pipeline and right. that's why usually either secretive once they file a us patent for it then you can talk <laughs> right yes that part perhaps is true fair enough touche <laughs> and so and where do you how see I got the... my eight <laughs> no, that's fine. Where do you see the future of this stuff going? Like in five years, 10 years, what do you see being the stuff? top trends and things that small and medium-sized business owners need to be aware of? Top trends, small. you can get a cheap intern by hiring ChatGPT or its competitor. That's one. Right. Uh, yeah, by hiring ChatGPT and its competitor, you can get a cheap intern. That's one. You probably, there will be more integrations. And the deep fake thing is going to be very dangerous. So be careful of that. Not sure how it will turn like. Yeah. So those are the two things that I see right now on, on AI. It's mm-hmm. dangerous. It's going to take many jobs. So that's for sure. It's going to take away many jobs. It's going to reduce men, the demand for many jobs, but it will also create the demand for other jobs. Mm-hmm. Not that different than the steam engine and the looming. Okay? Yeah, the loom. The thing that the, loom, the printing press for newspapers. The printing press for newspapers. Yeah, yeah, but it's happened at, at a more rapid pace nowadays. Like if you subscribe to ChatGPT, right, you can get an intern that can create you with a, a nice paper for, within minutes. Is the right. paper any good? Are they, is it very original? No, paper is not original. Paper any good? Not really. But hey, it's yeah. something. Yeah, it's better than starting with a blank page. I I liken it to calculators and accountants and bookkeepers. That before calculators, accountants and bookkeepers would have to do the math themselves. And the productive people were productive and the non-productive people had excuses for why it took them seven days to do two plus two equals four. And then calculators came out and the productive people became more productive and the non-productive people lost their excuse for why it was taking them so long. And they were just outmatched by the people that were more passionate, more excellent at the, and they had to find new careers or evolve, right? They had to move on and find something new or they had to evolve and keep up. And I feel like this is it. Even right now, I read a great book, actually the meme that I thing that I said about memes having to replicate themselves. That comes from 
David Deutsch, the godfather of quantum computing, he wrote a book called The Beginning of Infinity. And I just had a brain fart where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah. quantum computing is also the thing that I fear that will make me obsolete. <laughs> uh, oh, the idea that we're just, we're a long ways away from real world sentient artificial intelligence. Yeah, but quantum computing is already here. Right. It's already here and it's, you can hire a com quantum computer, right? Uh, there's one in the UK, I believe you can hire it. You can hire it for some money for do some quantum work. And there's another one will be, it's being set up in Poland, I believe. And yeah, those are quantum computers. The, the, my, my biggest fear on quantum computers is that the foundations of programming it are very different. And that's my, my, one of my biggest fear. What do you uh, mean? Personally. What you, okay. The computers nowadays that you use to talk with me are called binary computers. Its functions, its function is mostly derived from the work of one person called George Boole, which is the Boolean algebra. If uh, this is true and this is true, and right. yeah, operation like true or true is true, and true is true and false is false. Right. George Boole, right? Yep. Uh, George Boole. So the we you couldn't use a, use a binary computer, right? Ones uh, and zeros. But now we have qubits. Zeros. Billions, yeah, billions of ones and zeros, and those are based on the work of George Boole and others, and George Boole and Alan Turing and, and, and others. And quantum is something totally different. And I, yeah, and still I, don't haven't been able to figure it out. My understanding is it's almost like the multiverse. <laughs> so what that means is that through quantum computing, you can have multiple states of existence at once focused on the same problem. So that is almost like if I drop a pebble into a pond, I get all these ripples of water coming out from it. And all these ripples represent different directions that the wave could go in. And so as you pass through time, or maybe you go time more than one direction, there's a ripple effect. So right now you and I had this meeting in another universe, we didn't have the meeting. In another universe, we had the meeting and our internet cut off. Another meeting, I showed up wearing a pink hat. Another universe, you showed up wearing a green hat. And we have all these different potentialities and you play them out and you have a chosen beginning and an endpoint. And by the time you get from the beginning to the endpoint, it all collapses into almost like the most statistically significant signal to noise ratio. Mm. That's how I understand where you can, the, the value of quantum computing is that you can compute a thousand potentialities of a situation. It almost just does, it's got built-in statistical analysis where computers now are two plus two equals four. But this you could do two to the power of two plus two to the power of seven equals what? And then it all come and it just depends on what the output goal is that you're after. And so the focus of what you're trying to compute becomes even more important. It's all the whole, I think it's the same age old question. It's the quality of life depends on the quality of the questions you ask yourself. And I think it's gonna be the same with quantum computing, which now would steer this conversation in the direction of pursuing the truth of the universe versus governing people and censoring ideas we don't like, because that becomes incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Whereas we don't seek out and slaughter all the monkeys because that's not what we're about. We might displace and, and kill some sure in our own goals and progress, but that's not our intent. Whereas if you write a software program to censor and, and deplatform or suppress things, it will become like a killer bot hunting those out and killing them. And this is where we need to have the conversation of 
what values are our systems built upon and what is the ultimate end goal? And sorry, I didn't know the conversation was going to go this way. Yeah. That's a big part. Play. Yeah. That's important, important direction. And my opinion is that regulation will not work to curtail those things. Right. Because there's always going to be a government city state somewhere or maybe some set of people in a boat somewhere that's beyond any boundaries that do these things. 100%. In the real world, we have natural law, right? I look outside my window when I was a kid and I remember seeing the squirrels. I was on a, I had a school break and I think my parents were asking me to do some chores or something. I was like, I don't want to, it's the weekend. And I remember looking outside seeing squirrels and I realized, oh, they don't get a weekend. They can't be like, hey, cat. It's my holiday. I'm having a mental health day. Can you come back tomorrow? So there is like a, a real bare bone structure to the universe. I think a lot of these spiritual leaders and enlightened ones who supposedly achieve enlightenment, they're like, if and when you achieve enlightenment, guess what? You still need to chop wood and carry water. And we still need to do the, like we achieve quantum computing. We achieve sentient AI. Great. As far as we're concerned, we still need food. We still need water. We still need shelter. Our bodies still fuel or off certain things. Sure, we can maybe develop all this technology, synthetic bodies, blah, blah, blah. But that's that's so far. And what happens if it goes wrong? And now we're de-evolving. At the end of the day, you still need to chop wood and carry water while we, while we solve the problems in front of us, ultimately, at the end of the day. I guess it comes back to yeah. goals and outcomes. Yeah. The nice thing, about, nice thing about modern society is that you the invention of money allows you to get someone else to chop wood and carry water. <laughs> yes. It's a trade. It's a trade. Of, it's a store of value. It's a way to say, Hey, I did this work before I helped these people. It's a, it's that uh, reciprocity. We, when I, you do, I said this to my daughter today. We, I always tell her about the story of the little red hen and the story of the little red hen is the little red hen. It's this kid's book. Little red hen says, Hey, who's going to help me plant this wheat? And all the farm animals are like, not I, not I. So the hen does it. And then the red hen says, Hey, who's going to help me water and pull the weeds and all the other animals say, not I, not I. And the hen does it. And the hen says, hey, who's going to help me harvest the wheat? And all the other animals say, not I, not I. And she goes, hey, who's going to take me, take, help me take this wheat to the mill? And all the animals say, not I. And she gets a ground to mill. Hey, who's going to help me turn this flour into bread? Not I, not I. And then she bakes the bread and goes, hey, who's going to help me eat it? And they're all like, I will. And the hen goes, no, you won't. I did it all. And she, the hen eats it to herself. And I always <laughs> tell that story to my daughter. That's what our species is built on, that I would maybe grow and create the bread and you would make the strawberry jam. And then you would go, hey, can I have some bread? And I would go, what do you have? And you'd say, oh, I have some strawberry jam. And we would share together. But maybe I don't want your strawberry jam. And so you have to find someone that wants it and get a, a unit of value to get my bread. And that's what it was supposed to be. Of. But now we have central banking systems that have turned this into a, a means of power control. And yeah, that's something else as well. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a, <laughs> but it's a real thing. And as a species, we're going to work through all these issues at some point. Or we're not. We're gonna. We're either gonna enter another dark ages, or we're gonna break through and almost like a sperm bursting through the shell of the egg. We're gonna transform into something greater and evolve. And or both, different parts of the world. Yeah, break breakaway civilizations. We had a first and third world, right? Where the quality of life and life expectancy extended in the first world before it did the third world. So in some ways, we had different. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah. Interesting yeah. concept. Yeah. Sasmito, this has been a very interesting call. You've, you've, I've got a couple pages of notes here. So we talked just to recap on some of this stuff. You told us about your story. You told us about developing, starting with games, developing and developing, or sorry, and growing your skills and developing products and working your way up uh, the corporate ladder. 
you talked about how Python and Rust and learning Google spreadsheet, or sorry, Excel spreadsheet formulas is a great foundation for anyone that's trying to get into this. That if someone's trying to get, they also have to learn about the ecosystem, that learning the language is one thing, but the ecosystem of everything, how it interplays is even more important. And that maybe you don't even necessarily need, I thought this was really smart, that you don't need to worry about having the latest flashy thing. You don't need an app. What you really need is to make sure it can, whatever you have can perform on the tools that the people have. So you talked about PWAs, portable web applications, that you don't need an app. You just need to have your stuff almost, yeah, you have to have your stuff format that. And you also talked about focusing on the demand first and what the people want and building for them and having some sort of minimal viable product and then building from there and almost letting the people guide you. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's quite accurate. Yeah, okay. Now, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? I don't know. I don't know that you tell me. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So what are, you, what are you going to do with this information, for example? Me? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the insights because it's supposed to be your interview, not mine, but I'm even right now I'm helping. So I have a potential partnership that could turn into literally hundreds of clients for a program that I have. But part of the deal was in order to have this sort of official strategic partnership with them, I need to help them get a prog a project off the ground here. So they've we've got a, a three-month project where I'm a fractional manager, you could say, for it to oversee just getting the core members here. I'm in the Philippines. They need we've got five staff here and they need to have two pillar staff that they can build this facility around. And so I'm just here. They already have a leader. I'm just here to be boots on ground and supervise them. But even in still, I've already today, I talked to two of my programmers about how to automate a lot of the things that I'm having to do for this. Maybe just call me a lazy coder, but just for the sake of, I'm not trying to work 12 hour days, six days a week. I'm trying to solve problems better and better. So what am I going to do with it? I'm going to think about how to take what I've got and make it more compatible, not necessarily have to worry about rebuilding anything or everything. I'm going to double down on the demand and the needs of people and do more end user interviews, mm. probably. I'm going to take another look at Excel spreadsheets. I, I was, I did not expect that. I did not expect that. That really caught me off guard. I was, cause I, I hire coders and I know what I want and I can do, forgive me, this is supposed to be your interview, but I've done a lot with marketing automation software that I know about APIs. I know about small scripts. I know about setting up web pages, do fancy functions. I know some HTML. And like I said, and I thought at some point I was going to really have to dive in and commit to learning some code if I'm going to have more and more software than that. But from what I heard from you, it almost sounds like I don't even need to necessarily worry about the language, the principles. Sure. It's almost like a way of thinking. That's what came across that that's yep. more important than the language you choose. Language you choose, it depends on what you want to do with it. It goes up, it goes from what you want to do. Then you pick the ecosystem. Then you pick the language. So well, that's after you master a language. <laughs> outcome, <laughs> ecosystem, language. That's great. Yeah. That's after you, you're able to program in a language. So. Which is yeah, more about you... understanding the thought process, right? Yes. And yeah. thought process. Yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> Reading between the lines, there is some really good stuff here. And then also you talked about the login with Apple and Google. To me, that's don't reinvent the wheel. If something's free and easy, use it. Yeah. 
talk about that on the show a lot. OPR, OPM, OPC, other people's resources, other people's money, other people's uh, customers, which is this partnership I mentioned. This, this is a company that's got 40 locations around the world. Uh, most of them are non-English and they're setting up, they set up their first office in New York and they want to expand and have eight more. And I would be, and if they would be contractually obligated to promote my program to their entire database once a month, at least the, the non-active customers, the non-new and recently, but all their lost leads, all their past customers, if I help them with this. So OPC, other people's customers, other people's resources, use and the Apple people, and Google yeah. login, right? Yeah, yeah. Other people's money. I don't have to pay for those <laughs> servers and tools to have that up. So that's what I, I got from what you said, reading between the lines there. So yeah, last, last, so how do you want people to find me? Yeah, Sasmita, I was about to ask that. If people want to reach out, is LinkedIn the best way? Well, LinkedIn is the best, it's the second best way. The first best way will be to subscribe to my blog. <laughs> okay. And that's let's grab your link. And Hold say on. hi to me. I'll I read every I read every invite, every confirmation. I read every confirmation. And right. that goes through my get goes through all my spam filter because it, it comes from MailChimp. Got it. Um, Got it. And then yeah, if you want to talk, that's one. That's the second, the LinkedIn will be the second best thing. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. my blog will be the easiest way you can do because you don't have to go through LinkedIn. Just confirm the MailChimp and then say hi there or what you want to talk about and I'll read it. Is that basilsalad.com, your blog? Uh, yeah. So basilsalad is the... Indiespark.com. Uh, yeah. Basilsalad is the, the, how you say, the end user portion. Uh, just say, say uh, my talk to muggles blog got it got it got <laughs> if, it if you ever read harry potter it's called talk to mother's blog that's with that.com in this park the top is for yeah yeah if you're a wizard yeah then go to this this site <laughs> so check out indiespark.top i-n-d-i-e-s-p-a-r-k.top t-o-p you can also check out basilsalad.com b-a-s-i-l-s-a-l-a-d.com and you can look them up on Twitter and LinkedIn, Sasmito, S-A-S-M-I-T-O, Adibo, A-D-I-B-O-W-O. Sasmito, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an honor and a pleasure knowing that you have your own direct reports, your own projects. Thank you for coming and sharing with my audience and I. So hopefully we can navigate this tech world a little bit better. Thank you. Thank you for your time too. And have a good rest of the day.